So let's read together in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, uh, from verse 1 through to the end of verse 7. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Go near to listen, rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools who do not know what they do wrong. Do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. God is in heaven and you are on earth, so let your words be few. A dream comes when there are many cares and many words mark the speech of a fool. When you make a vow to God, do not delay to fulfill it. He has no pleasure in fools. Fulfill your vow. It is better not to make a vow than to make one and not fulfill it. Do not let your mouth lead you into sin and do not protest to the temple messenger, my vow was a mistake. Why should God be angry at, at what you say and destroy the work of your hands? Much dreaming and many words are meaningless. Therefore, fear God. Let's pray. From the arrogance that thinks it knows all truth. From the laziness that's satisfied with half-truths. And from the cowardice that shrinks from new truths. O God of truth, deliver us. Amen. Uh, This journey um, that you've been on um, around this quester, the one who's questing for the meaning of life, I think is an important one for us to embrace. It's this kind of um, book of Scripture where there's a search for the last truths, not just truth, but the last truths, you know, that last 5% where we'd rather not go. Um, This book is a search for the last truths about life and about God. And I think for many of us, it has a significant message to give. It's written from a new context. Uh, It's written after the exile as Israel have been away and into Babylon, into a foreign land, living under foreign occupied rulers. Um, And there, you know, there's this sense of their world being changed, their world being made upside down. By the rivers of Babylon, we sat down and wept while we remembered Zion. That's the context. And from that new context comes new questions. And in Scripture, there's there's this interesting playoff of different voices. So you have the voice of the Levitical tradition. In the Levitical tradition, A plus B plus C always equals D, right? So pray, come to church, live a good life, and God will bless you. And in the Levitical tradition, if you are struggling, if you are suffering, you must have done something wrong because the, uh, the formula is right. A plus B plus C always equals D. What you have in the wisdom books of Scripture like Ecclesiastes <clears throat> is the question of, really? You know, from a new context come new questions. What happens when A plus B plus C equals earthquake and the loss of everything you know, like it's happened in Christchurch? What, what happens when A plus B plus C equals the death of your child? Where you've prayed and you've set the church to prayer. You've set aside time to fast and to seek God, to plead with God. And yet, your child dies. 
from this context come new questions about faith, new questions about meaning, new questions about life itself. And the quester goes on this journey, and it's an uncomfortable one, as I'm sure you've experienced, looking in crannies and nooks and corners and under rocks to see, is this where wisdom's found? Is wisdom here? And the quester seems to go on particularly this journey as an individual, looking for individual meaning, rational meaning, highly individualized journey that he goes on. He looks in pleasure. He looks in projects. He looks in work and health and advancement. Um, All these things are the things that give meaning and identity in our world, aren't they? The cars, the toys, the house, the job, the clothes. That's how we construct our identity. And the quester goes looking under these things, and he pulls the rock aside wondering, is there meaning here? What's the meaning of this? Is this significant? And what we find is the quester saying, "Uh, no, not there. Meaning isn't there. Not there. Uh, No, not there. In fact, folly, 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 folly. Not there. That's, That's not where it is. Our great understanding of life and our identity based around our individual autonomy, our great freedom, which is kind of personified by the mastery of our mouse. You know, you sit at your computer, you get to choose everything to construct your life with. You can buy, live, shop, everything online. You're in control. You are the master of your universe. The quester goes on that journey with us and says, folly, 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 folly. There is no meaning there. Our great understanding of freedom, free to do whatever we want, unshackled from any constraint, becomes this self-referenced life. We are the masters of our own universe. But it turns out that this freedom is no freedom at all. A friend of mine was um, recently on a plane ride and the ear hostess announced over the radio, probably much to this person's despair, um, Robert Redford's on the plane. Um, (laughs) And he's probably dying inside as she sees this. Um, And this friend of mine was saying that he looked across and here, a bit like those cartoons, was the, the, the cap and the shady sunglasses looking to coil over in the corner was Robert Redford. And of course, immediately people go around searching the plane for Robert Redford. Um, This great image of success, um, kind of shriveling in the corner, hoping no one would see him. He said, this friend of mine was saying, they went down to collect their bags, and there was Robert Redford waiting at the turnstile for his bags. And again, shriveling, just kind of on edge, a cat on a hot tin roof, looking around because people are coming up to accost him. This great image of being a celebrity, someone who's famous and well-known, the great goal of many of our lives, ends up to be its own prison. There's no freedom at all. And in this journey in Ecclesiastes, this is the kind of wisdom that's being sought. What's wisdom or what's folly? Wisdom versus folly. And in chapter 5, there is a change in tack from the quester. The movement is from one of observation, which you've had in chapters um, 1 through 4, as the quester observes different aspects, looking for wisdom and folly. It now moves to instruction. Guard your steps, the movement from I saw this and I saw that, to now you, 
This is instruction. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. And the setting is that of worship. What's it like when the self-referenced life goes to worship? Well, (laughs) what happens when the self-referenced life goes to worship? Well, what happens is it's characterized by haste, by pace, um, by busyness. Listen to what the quester says, do not, in verse 2, do not be quick with your mouth, do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. It's a kind of a busy worship. You turn up to worship and you are busy. You only have a short space of time um, to let God in, so this is it. Come on, get on with it. Um, this is a busy life. And we go along to worship and consume God. Um, God is another commodity for us to consume. Um, so it's busy, it's characterized by haste, and it's characterized by noise. That's our life, isn't it? Busy and noisy. Um, there is no space. Our iPhones are ringing, our, our radios are on, we live busy lives, we're always on call, someone's texting us. That's life as we know it. And this is the image of foolishness for the quester. The busy hasty, noisy life. It's characterized by pace and by noise, and above all, it's characterized by superficiality. You you go along, you make vows, you make promises, and you don't really mean them, and, uh, you know, when you make a vow to God, do not delay to fulfill it. He has no pleasure in fools. Therefore, fulfill your vow this life of superficiality that skims the surface over everything, be it church, be it life, be it relationships, um, be it the web, it skims the life of everything, living off the tidbits of other people's depth, that kind of life, busy, noisy, and superficial. One author says that the greatest sin of the contemporary church is superficiality superficiality. What happens when we take our self-referenced lives to worship? (laughs) Superficiality is what happens. God becomes another commodity that we consume, and worship becomes form without substance, faith without transformation. And we come along, we sing our songs, we, we, we drink from a cup and we eat some bread and we go home. The sense of form without substance. We are entertained and we go home having consumed some faith. As one person has said, we Christians in the West have a significant danger as living like functional atheists. Functional atheists. But the quester says, here's the point you need to hear. God is God, and we are we. We are little. God is God. We are not the masters of our own universe. 
God is God and we are we. So therefore, slow down and shut up. (laughs) God is in heaven and you are on earth, so let your words be few. God is God, and we are we. Our first calling in Christian life and faith is God, simply God. And God is awesome. God is God. Now, Annie Dillard talks about the way we come in and kind of casually flop into our seats in worship and um, the Bible's read out and we think, oh yeah, that was good. Um, She says, look, you've got it all wrong. (laughs) When you come in the door, the people at the door should be issuing you with life preservers and signal flares. And they should be taking you to your seat and buckling you in and saying, hold on, and then we'll open the scriptures and read from them. This is dangerous stuff. This is awesome stuff. This is the Word of God. God comes to us on His own terms and not our own terms. We are not to consume God because God consumes us. God comes to us as the one who says, you did not choose me, I chose you. We are to live God-referenced lives not self-reference lives. And you cannot meet God and stay the same. You can't meet God and stay the same. For me, my journey before I met God was one throughout the nightclubs of South Auckland, Um, as glamorous as that may sound. um, That was life for me, living in the drug and alcohol and party scene. Um, And so for me, coming to meet God meant huge change just incredible change. Um, Within the space of six months, just massive change of lifestyle from this to not a little bit of this and that, but from this to that. And God took me out of a whole lot of things and put me into training to be a pastor, (laughs) going through theological college. Um, But it's easy to say, oh, great. Wow, great change happened once in my life. I did what God intended. But the point is, is that God is continually coming to us, demanding us to conform to His ways, to let go of the things that are not from Him and to pick up the things that are. To live a God-referenced life means change continually. Dying and rising is what we're called to each day. New life, dying and rising. And this is what the quester gets at. He gives three imperatives, three commands in the passage. Uh, In verse 1, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. And then in verse 4, when you make a vow to God, do not delay to fulfill it. He has no pleasure in fools. Here's the imperative, fulfill your vow. And then as you go on into verse 7, much dreaming and many words are meaningless. Therefore, fear God. This is the God-referenced life. God makes demands upon us to walk in His ways, to define ourselves in and through Him. And for us in today's society where we are given all the freedoms 
absolute freedom to do and be whatever we choose to do and be. This can seem like a call to unfreedom, eh? Like, like a call to unfreedom. Guard your steps, fulfill your vows, fear God, pick up your cross and follow me. It feels like a call to unfreedom, and I think it actually is. <laughs> but as the songwriter once wrote, make me a captive Lord, and then I shall be free. Make me a captive Lord, and then I shall be free. As the psalmist says, the, <coughs> excuse me, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. These are not bad things. These are good things. To put God at the center of our lives. For God to be at the heart of our lives. God to be at the center of our will. God to be at the center of our buying. God to be at the center of all that we do. Our relationships. Our family. God to be the center. The deep center. And that means taking time to be with God. Patiently waiting on God, soaking in the Scriptures and patiently being with God. Because God is not the means to blessing. God is the blessing. God is not the means to our joy. God is our joy. We need to hear that. God is not another attachment or commodity for us to consume. God is our blessing. God is our joy. Jesus spoke of the day when there will be the true worshippers, those who worship in spirit and in truth, those who come to worship God out of the deep well of faith. This, I think, is what we're called to, surrendering all to Jesus to worship and serve Him daily, this dying and rising, this gathering together to be accosted by Jesus and His Word. That's what we're called to, to live out of that, to live from that deep center of love for God and love for His Word. And the question is obviously, is Jesus the center of your world? Or in haste and in busyness, does he get a little bit of time in the midst of your busyness? Or are you so busy speaking about what's up for you that he doesn't get a turn? Is Jesus at the center of your life? That's the question that's being asked. To come out of superficiality and to find depth. This quest for meaning that the quester goes on ultimately ends up with this one thing. Fear God. Not because God is terrifying, but because God is awesome. Live out of this fundamental identity that is found in God to cultivate this deep life that is centered in God is the beginning of wisdom. Evangelicals are well known uh, for being activists. We have quite an activistic faith. Um, we're, we go out and we do things. We go out and on mission, we go out and evangelize. We are activists. And it's not a bad thing. But I heard someone say just this last week um, when I was away. Um, so evangelicals say that we want to be in the world for God. We want to be in the world for God. 
What if we paused and put things the other way around? What about being in God for the world? Not just in the world for God, but more importantly, in God for the sake of the world. That we live and move from this deep center that's found in patient attention to God and His ways. That, I think, is where the quester begins with wisdom. This deep center in God. And what it means for meaning and wisdom... um, I think Herbert Butterfield picked this up well, and I love this, and I, I use it often because I really love it. Um, he wrote this book called Christianity and History. Butterfield's a famous um, Oxford historian, and he surveys the sweep of history, looking for a sure place to put your foot on. And he says, what I've found is that history's a little bit random. You know, you'd think that, for example, Christchurch is headed on a great trajectory, second biggest city in the country, things are going well, it's a, you know, very good, they're going to host the, a World Cup game, they're going to be a significant city for us, and then there's an earthquake, and another, and then another. And everything's changed. So what we find is that history is random, it goes down funny cul-de-sacs, it's not trustworthy to put your sure foot upon. And Butterfield surveys everything and ends up coming up with his principle, which I think is the wisdom the quester is after. And his principle is this. Hold to Christ and for everything else, be totally uncommitted. Connection Point is a joint production between Connection Resources and Shaw Community Christian Church. If you would like a free copy of today's message, please email us or phone us on 0800 90 30 90. To subscribe to our free podcasts or to listen to the latest message, go to connectionresources.org.nz.